Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, <laughs> Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. My handle is CriticsPod. Uh, like us there. Subscribe to us there. You can also listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, if you leave us a five-star review, we will leave. We will read your review on the air, and you will get a 4K Blu-ray from Sean uh, that has been given to us by uh, a handful of different production companies. Uh, Patreon.com slash CriticsPod is the best way to help support the podcast. Uh, follow the link in the show notes. And then TeePublic, if you click on the link in the show notes, if you want to get some of our merch, or go to IHateCritics.net and click on the TeePublic link up in the right-hand corner. I'm sorry, we're in the process of like cleaning out our house, and I feel like there's this massive echo in my room. So if <laughs> that's what's going on at home, I apologize. It's driving me nuts here trying to record, so forgive me. Uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get started with the show. And we will start with Tank House. Yes, uh, Tank House is a movie set in the world of theater. Uh, Stephen Frederick and uh, I forget the young lady's name, Tara Holt. Thank you. Uh, Tara Holt uh, are the stars here. They play a couple who are dedicated to the theater deeply. They're in the theater in New York. They're doing this immersive theatrical show where they go out into their audience which is like four or five people but nevertheless uh and and actually they look seem to be doing pretty well they've actually got a, a theater critic who is there who seems to be really into what they're doing and then an old lady dies and they get blamed for it and they get drummed out of the business uh, kicked out of new york luckily they've had an opportunity to rise because uh her parents have left the country and they get to go to their their her parents house which is in uh fargo north fargo north dakota and they go there to uh, essentially compete in a theatrical contest that's going to take place uh, for control of the local theater. And uh, they put together their own group of people to be their actors and their group of really funny weirdos. And this is really just a movie dedicated to a group of funny weirdos doing funny weirdo things. And I really enjoyed that. I was never a theater kid uh, in high school, but I always admired the theater kids. They were always off in their own little world and I, i've always liked that about uh the theater kid world and this is kind of adult theater kids uh they come up with a lot of funny stuff like uh like the two competing acting troops uh led by one one led by richard kind and then the group that we're following they they get into a gangland battle that basically consists of trying to sing the pirates of penzance faster and faster and faster and I know we've seen stuff like that before with like dance battles and, and you know, they're like over the top comedy movies do stuff like that, with like rap battles or whatnot between unlikely people. But I, I just like the twist on this one with the uh, Pirates of Penzance and the, the, the inc rather incredible way uh, that they that they decide who wins and, and just how fast they can actually do uh, the the uh, mer uh, model of a modern major general so quickly. It's it's really impressive. Uh, there's a lot of really fun stuff about this. I really like this movie. It's not like the greatest movie, but it's like it's a really solid, fun comedy. And especially if you're somebody who's in the theater world, I think uh, I can't help but think that you'll love it. It's funny. In high school, I always argued with the theater kids, like movies versus you know theater. <laughs> uh, but as I get older, I appreciate it much more, especially getting into 
you know, the more mainstream theater shows like Hamilton and Book of Mormon and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, even the actors I like, some of the better ones are actually theater people that just do movies for money. <laughs> but actually do pretty good stuff that I, I'm assuming good stuff uh, that I never hear about because I don't go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I think everybody knows that like uh, Hugh Jackman and even Denzel Washington have done some of their best work and we've never seen it because it was on the stage. Well, yeah, and even like, you know, what you would think would be like a throwaway actress like Kim Cattrall, who's pretty much, a, you know, been sexualized her whole career, but actually has a fairly good stage career off to the side. You know, it's you wouldn't even know. I don't know. It's just kind of it's a whole different well, like- world. Yeah, like Patty Lapone's a great example. She's been in a few movies, but I mean, on Broadway, she's an icon. She's like the biggest star there is. And I, if you say Patty Lapone to most people, they're like, I think I recognize that name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, and it's available now, I'm assuming, to mm-hmm. rent at Amazon, iTunes, all your, everywhere you can rent movies. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, and it, it's got a weird energy to it. Uh, there's uh, really very little conventional element to it. And I, I dig it. I dig that about it. If you're going to do comedy that seems familiar, do it well. All right, let's move on to On the Count of Three. On the Count of Three is uh, directed by Gerard Carmichael and stars him along with uh, Christopher Abbott, who was in The, the Death of uh, Dick Long. Uh, this is a story of two longtime friends, one of whom is uh, just kind of getting out of a jail situation. <laughs> the other one has a real dead end job. And uh, one convinces the other that they should that they should kill themselves and they should do it by shooting each other in the face. Um, <laughs> and what's a, in, this is an incredibly like dark subject. Obviously we're talking about suicide and, uh, and two people who are definitely in a place where they feel like they need to end their lives. And that's a, that's a, not an easy place to find comedy and they do find comedy in this. They do find some funny things within this. Cause there is sort of an absurdity to the idea of this being the last day of their lives and uh, them deciding First, that they're going to kill themselves and then deciding, well, let's live one more day and go settle a few scores and then we'll come back and we'll shoot each other in the face. It's dark, but it's like dark in a way that's kind of just like I said, absurd. And the the best thing about it, though, is the dramatic element of it is this very slow tonal shift or this this shift from one guy to the other. So one guy starts out the day very, very sure that he wants to kill himself. The other guy is kind of like, yeah, I guess that sounds like a good idea. I mean, my life's not going anywhere. So he kind of agrees to it. And then as the day goes along, one becomes more certain and the other, they, they pass like ships. You know, it's like one becomes less certain, one becomes more certain of what they're doing. And I, I just, I really loved the, the subtle trans, uh, transition from one to the other as the uh, main, you know, uh, protagonist when it comes to who's going to kill themselves. Uh, it, it ends in a way also that recognizes that what these guys do on this day would have consequences uh, and it doesn't shy away from that. It doesn't run from that. It doesn't try to put a nice little bow on the end of it. Uh, it's just really smartly directed, really uh, cleverly written. It's got a smart choice of incidents that uh, you know keep the story moving, inform you about these two characters. They don't do anything extraneous 
everything sort of explains how they got to where they get to. And that's a, it's a really, it's a really compact, smart, well-made movie that happens to be about a very dark subject and still manages to be kind of funny about that subject. Yeah, no, I, I like this movie quite a bit. Uh, I think one thing I do want to correct the very beginning of the movie, the guy from Dick long, he actually was in an institution because he tried to kill himself. He wasn't actually in prison. So that was why <laughs> he decided to kill uh, uh, Gerard Carmichael's character decided to that they should kill each other. Uh, and that, but you're right. They, you know, they went back and forth. They, the way they crossed. I don't know. What's the guy's from Dick Long's name? I'm sorry, Christopher Abbott. Christopher Abbott. His character like truly suffered from depression, and Jared Carmichael's I think was going through a moment. And it was kind of cool to see. I think they played that pretty well. And maybe, I don't know how accurate something like that would be. But in a lot of ways, it reminds me of like the way Chasing Amy played uh, up that scenario with that character. It's not so much about depression as a whole. It's about these characters. And it's not trying to define. Uh, I mean, I mean, maybe it's making a statement, but it's not a broad one. It's about these characters, not so much about depression as a whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought they were really smart about the way they did that. And a lot of movies take a movie like this. You know, this movie works itself into a corner and uh, goes very realistic with it. You know, a, lot, a lesser movie would have tried to get out of that corner with a very cheesy uh, put a bow on it type of an ending. And this one did a much better job of it. And it's also aside from a comedy the like you mentioned the dramatic elements uh we, there's been a handful of movies that we've watched lately where in the last three years where you're just like you want to see the characters make the right decisions and they're not and they're or they're doing something to to just change their lives dramatically and that you know you get so invested and it's so heartbreaking when they make the wrong call or when they just kind of do something on instinct uh, i'm trying to be as broad as possible because i think this movie's worth watching without knowing what happens yeah i'm trying to yeah the same <clears throat> but it, it really is quite good it's very very watchable uh, uh i don't know how well known it is but as far as i'm concerned i think it should be uh, like to me, this is a sleeper movie that people should be, you know, seeing. Uh, Absolutely, uh, and I'm surprised. I'm I was a little surprised that this isn't, isn't getting more attention because it is so very, uh, very good. And a first time director who's been in the headlines, you know, pretty recently. Uh, that I thought maybe that might uh, give this movie a little bit of boost, but then it just sort of dropped on VOD, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that's, that's where we are, I guess. I kind of thought this could could go to theaters, actually. Yeah, this would have been a nice, small theater movie that was, you know, counter-programming to Doctor Strange or something else later on in the year. Uh, or mm-hmm. if nothing else, if you're going to go streaming, have it hit Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, or something like that, HBO Max, uh, where a lot of people are going to be on it. Because uh, I... I do think this is a movie that could find an audience. It's just a matter of getting in front of that audience. Yeah. And it's a, it's pretty, it's a pretty strong statement too for Gerard Carmichael as a first time director uh, and starring in his own movie. It definitely 
uh, a sign from him that he's got uh, big things ahead of him. It takes a it takes a great deal of work to be able to both direct and direct yourself, and uh, it, you know that's it's it's something for a guy to do that up, to do this on his first try and go. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a dark comedy about suicide for my first movie, and I'm gonna star in it and direct it. That's a lot. And then I'm gonna cast Henry Wrinkler in that role, and it's like what? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, every even JB Smooth, you know, that's yeah. not a role for him normally. That's a hell of a scene, isn't it? Isn't Man, it? that's yeah. a hell of a scene. The shifts in that scene from one thing to another is so great. And uh, from a guy who's always joking around and everything mm-hmm. you've ever seen him do, it's just so well casted. And quite frankly, if his next movie sucks, it's because he got into a studio and they wouldn't let him do what he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of. There's so many things in this movie that a studio would not let you do, uh, or you know, the casting choices, just decision makings along the way. I, I, I really think this is a really smart, well-made movie, and this is what's lacking out of studio pictures right now. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why it's not in theaters. Damn. All right. Speaking of VOD, senior year. Senior year, a new Netflix comedy starring Rebel Wilson as a, a woman who is in she was in high school, 17 years old, much younger than that. She decided she was going to be the most popular kid in her school by her senior year. And she achieved that by this sort of mercenary effort uh, to become the head cheerleader. Uh, once she does, unfortunately, she's also made a few enemies along the way, one of which is the other most popular girl in school. And that girl conspires to have uh, Rebel Wilson's character dropped on her head during an assembly, and it sends her into a 20-year coma from which she wakes up uh, at about 37 years old and uh, real, you know, with the mind of a 17-year-old. Uh, and so she wants to go back to high school and be a senior again and try to be the captain of the cheerleading team again and be the try and win prom queen. And uh, this is a typical fish-out-of-water scenario where somebody from the 90s is thrown into a modern uh, can, modern idea Uh, and the thing about it is is that this movie wants to have it both ways when it comes to you know being both satirical of modern high school but also celebratory of modern high school and it can't decide which one it wants to be does it want to make fun of influencers and yeah the 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 sexual spectrum of a modern high school or does it or does it want to uh, fit in with that and celebrate it it can't it can't decide and the jokes here are just really limp uh, really lib takes on on modern high schools. Uh, you know, you've got a very popular girl who has a lot of Instagram followers, and everybody's on Instagram, and it's all about followers. and And the school has become so PC that they don't want anybody to stand out above anybody else. So they got rid of the, you know, the king and queen at the prom, and they don't. Their cheerleading team is just a, a group of people who you know literally just do cheers for people, and <laughs> they don't try to they don't try to do anything you know showy or anything. Uh, and those aren't funny jokes and they're not intended to be funny jokes either they're te- they're intended to be observations because again i think this is a movie that does admire a uh, modern high school they certainly don't tr- turn the principal character who is also her best friend in high school uh, into a villain uh they turn her- they want her to be celebrated as a progressive you know s- uh, school principal at the same time they want to do jokes about a modern high school and none of it is very funny. It all comes off very bland. And uh, one of the worst things about this is that Ripple Wilson, who is this sort of wild spirit, like she's just a comedy 
tornado in other movies. She's very restrained in this movie. They really hold back on your typical Rebel Wilson performance. And I understand that that's kind of part of a new image that she's working on now, that uh, trying to be more of a mainstream movie star, that maybe she's trying to dial back on that whirlwind persona. But I missed that. I missed the Rebel Wilson from Pitch Perfect 3. I missed that character who was just uh, uh, from Isn't Romantic, who was just kind of wildly flailing all over the place and going for the biggest possible joke. Here she seems to be restrained and living within this very bland plot. Restrained and bland is a good way to describe this movie. Even if they didn't admire modern high school and they leaned into the anti-PC stuff, I might not have liked the movie, but it have been better than this. You know, yeah. uh, this is just very, like, they flirt with the popular girl who's very PC and has all these followers because she's so woke. They flirt with her being the villain, but they don't commit. Uh you know the Rebel Wilson character. They uh, there's a little bit of the flailing around, but not like in the other movies. Uh, there's just no commitment to anything, and in the end, it, it's just weak. There, it, it's not that funny. Uh, I, I mean, it's really there's no commitment to anything. Like, make a statement, say something, be funny, do one of them. Just pick <laughs> one of those things, and they, I mean they're market this as a not safe for work comedy and it's not raunchy at all <laughs> no not even a little bit of, the the biggest thing is like i guess she throws a party for you know 17 year olds where they're drinking and that's like the big thing that's the big thing she gets in trouble for she was buying beers for kids underage and it's not even funny i mean no you saying it is a funny idea <laughs> but in the movie it's just like you know, it just falls so flat and all the characters are not realistic at all. The the romance angle is very, it's been done so much that when they do it here, it's just like they're not even trying. They're just going through the motions. Yeah, the uh, Sam Richardson plays the a kid who had a uh, crush on her in high school and uh, was her friend. And uh, now, of course, he's a teacher himself at the high school, conveniently enough. And uh, <laughs> and I honestly like <laughs> I came away from it thinking that Rebel Wilson and Sam Richardson had more of a brother sister energy than they did a romantic energy. Like there's just there is no romantic chemistry there at all. Yeah, when you watch a movie that did it better, probably in the '80s, you know, you know that nerdy guy or whatever is the one who's right for her because the chemistry is so strong. But you're right, there's no chemistry there. It's just weak. <laughs> and then her boyfriend at the time, and even when she runs back into him as an adult, it, it's just just lame and weak. You know, it, there's just limp, no commitment, uh, just tame. I don't know. It's very disappointing from what I wanted it to be. You know, it, there was no reason this couldn't be as good as, you know, 21 Jump Street or something like that or any fish out of water movie. I think the template that they should have looked at was something like Superbad. Yeah. Uh, going for that kind of going for that kind of raunch. Uh, you know, you have this opportunity here with this character who. Uh, can do things for teenagers that teenagers aren't able to do, and she, being being of her age, you know, they could take advantage of that and make a make a bigger joke of that. But everybody's too too busy staying in their lane. Uh, and it's uh, there's one character in the movie. Her entire character 
Uh, she's one of the high school kids, and her entire character is that she she likes AOC. She likes the, the congresswoman AOC, and that's it. That's her entire personality. She doesn't do anything else. I mean, she's on the cheerleading team too, I guess, but and she dances to the dances. But everybody dances in the dances. Her, the dialogue wise, character wise, her character is I like AOC. <laughs> like that's not a character. Right. And and it's almost like the movie's afraid to offend. And uh, I mean, it's as long as you're not out there being racist or transphobic or homophobic, you know, that's all you got to not do. You know, (laughs) you can can still be raunchy and not get canceled. There might be some small chatter from some idiot on Twitter. For the most part, people are going to enjoy something like that. And this. This just is walking on eggshells the entire time, and therefore is a waste of a movie. I do like, you know, the like the the young male characters that they had were very progressive characters, and I I like that. But they didn't do anything funny with them, and they didn't make any really interesting observation about why they are just this kid. This the super popular kid wears a dress like Harry Styles, and it's like that's it. That's the joke. <laughs> it's like the kid has no character. He has very little dialogue and has no other character than he's the kid, he's the boy who wears a dress. Uh and, and that's just like Harry Styles. <laughs> I mean, you gotta do something else with that. You can't uh and I'm not saying make fun of the guy. I, I like I like what he wore. I like I like that he would I like that a kid would be able to express himself that way. But there had to be a joke somewhere. There had to be a character in there somewhere. His character can't be dresses like Harry Styles, just as the character can't be. She likes AOC. There has to be something else. Or there's like a character who's just the gay. Like he's just very openly gay. That's it. That's his character. They stop right there. And it's like those kids can be funny. They can be funny. They can have jokes. Uh, You just have to think harder than, uh, than this movie does. This movie takes it easy on every uh, every turn, uh, the biggest jokes in the movie are, are song stings. Like when you hear, uh, I think it's crazy or, or is it crazy or toxic? One or the other from Br- it's a Britney song and it gets a big reaction, you know, and, every- and somehow everybody knows how to do the big dance that they're doing mm-hmm. to it. And then of course there's hot in here by Nelly, which is again, that's just pre- you. If you hear hot in here by Nelly, that's the joke. Right. <laughs> so many movies do that where it's just we're playing hot in here by nelly that's the joke <laughs> you gotta do something else there's gotta be more to it than just playing that song i know it's a funny song you gotta do more t- with it than that but in the end it's just a really bad movie because of it like it's bad mm-hmm. yeah, i think so too and it's a shame and here it is getting a netflix release and you know bury this one on demand somewhere and let you know on the count of three get this kind of release not that it would have gotten the attention this movie did but this mm-hmm. this actually sucks really really bad firestarter speaking of sex really really bad uh <laughs> it's not, not that bad uh firestarter uh stars zach efron as uh, a father whose uh, family's been on the run for some time about uh, 11 years to be exact uh he and his wife uh, played by sydney lemon are uh, are psychics. Uh, they were given psychic abilities in a in a government exper- experiment years ago, and uh, from that they had a child who developed powers even beyond theirs, which include pyrokinesis. She can create fire with her mind. 
Uh, the family has been on the run from the government, but when her powers explode while she's at high school, she's in school uh, and she can't control it, that gets the government's attention and they've got to go on the run again. Uh, and, and then from there, it's a you know, story of trying to survive uh, getting away from the government. Uh, what's lacking here is so much of what is interesting about the first movie. This is just, they're trying to make a straight ahead horror movie thriller with this one, but also kind of within the confines of maybe PG-13. So they're not really going all the way with it, but they're kind of going all the way. With it. But <laughs> we'll get to the original in a minute because I got a lot to say about that fucking movie. But uh, this one is just very bland because it doesn't have everything that's wrong with the, with the other movie, at least is entertainingly wrong. <laughs> Whereas this one is just not particularly interesting. It, everything sort of just happens and then it's over and they don't really give anything to this character to do. And it's, it's all really boringly competent is how I described it because everything looks fine. You know, the, the special effects look fine. The performances look fine but they don't elevate the material in any way. They don't raise this up to something that's more memorable. And that's just really what's missing here is something memorable. And it's a real shame because uh, Keith Thomas was the director of the vigil with uh, Dave Davis uh, uh, back in 2020. That's an uh, incredible horror movie uh, based uh, on a Jewish legend. Uh, it uses you know, a lot of really strong filmmaking technique because they're working just within one house uh, using a lot of shadows and darkness to try and create their uh, to create their scares. And it works really great. And I wonder if having a big star and having a big budget kind of robbed him of what he does best, <laughs> like making the best of what he had is kind of the real talent that he had. Uh, and here, given all the tools to a Hollywood movie, uh, he just makes you know a, a very competent, not particularly interesting movie. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, not that Blumhouse is bad all the time uh but when you get more people involved it's harder for the director his vision to get across and what we ended up getting was a not entertaining movie whatsoever <laughs> it just very very boring very very like why am i still watching this kind of feeling the entire time mm -hmm. uh, yeah i was i was waiting for this one to be over <laughs> i was zoning out a lot uh and just Again, you know, it's a remake, and, and I, uh, to me, when you're going to remake a movie, remake a bad one that messed up, and I'm all for remaking this, but give me something. <laughs> Don't just bore me. <laughs> and th this was very painful to get through. And the, and the thing is, is that the that the original, as bad as it is, it is not boring no. at all, <laughs> at all, not boring at all. It's it's kind of it's kind of secretly great as it is, but. In, for all the wrong reasons right and even zach efron a guy who generally pops off the screen and has a lot of you know uh charisma just he's boring in this you know, yeah I, I was shocked shockingly so i mean he's just he has no real and the thing about it is like he and the daughter character like uh Kira Armstrong, I, I'm not getting her whole name, but uh, they they don't have any father daughter chemistry at all. Uh, they the, the and their interactions basically boil down to use your powers, don't use your powers, and that's it. <laughs> like run, okay. There's that's the entirety of their interaction as, as a father and daughter. Uh, <laughs> uh, like there's no depth to that whatsoever. Whereas I admittedly in the first film, 
I think I think is it David Keith? Is that who that is? The original. Oh, uh, he and Drew Barrymore they, they communicate a great deal of history in a very short period of time. Right. Do you want to get onto that one? <laughs> sure. It's far more interesting than this. Yes. Uh, okay, Firestarter 1984 is our classic, and uh, this one stars Drew Barrymore at her absolutely most adorable melting people's faces. And <laughs> it's the, the I don't want to call it kink, but just the weirdness, like the, the incongruity of someone as so completely adorable as Drew is in this movie, melting people's faces, makes me laugh so very, very hard. <laughs> It's like it reminded me. You remember that, uh, it, like at the very start of Funny or Die, when Will Ferrell did that bit where he had his baby questioning yes. him about his rent. Love like, that. <laughs> that's kind of what I think about when I think about Drew Barrymore trying to melt people's faces. It just is so exactly. It's so incongruous. It's such a funny juxtaposition that it just kills me. And I just love it. Like we're looking at her poster now on the screen on YouTube and she's just so cute. Those chubby little cheeks and those, those eyes, like it's just adorable. And she's lighting fools on fire. <laughs> like it's so great. But then the movie doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there because then you have George C. Scott who is probably the only actor in the world who could who could with a straight face with complete commitment want to murder Drew Barrymore <laughs> want to murder this adorable child like he's the only guy i truly believe would have zero compunction like you want me to kill her i'll kill her i'll fucking kill her i'll snap her fucking neck i'll, I'll just punch her right in the face shove her fucking nose right up her brain i don't care <laughs> i think maybe Willem Dafoe could do that but that very few actors could pull that off with your opposite Drew Barrymore. But then you add to that the fact that he is playing this horrific bit of racism where he's like the most Caucasian actor playing a Native American character named Rainbird with this ridiculous ponytail. And it just, and then it, then an eye patch just because, just because, I guess. I think he actually had an eye infection. I'm not sure if that's true or not. So that could be. Something I just heard offhand, but apparently he did have an eye infection. But still, like I just want to wear an eye patch today. I'm going to wear an eye patch. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so and so not intended to be funny in any way. Uh, then you've got you know David Keith and and then Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen is amazing. Like the guy has so much actorly charisma that even though he's playing a character who doesn't have all that much to do, he does it so well. He's so magnetic. And that's what's lacking. Like Firestarter, Gloria Rubin can't pull that off. She can't pull off what Sheen pulls off there. She's not a well-known enough actor to pull that off. She doesn't have the magnetism to pull that off. And I hate to say that, but she's kind of a TV actor. And that's just kind of her niche. Uh, She doesn't have what Martin Sheen has. Uh, And not many actors do. It's It's not a terrible thing to not have that. It's not a lot of actors have what he has. Uh, but having him and George C. Scott in a scene is so fantastic. The, the, the back and forth energy of those two actors is so much fun to watch. And then, I, like Keith David or David Keith, I, I do that all the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> David Keith, uh, he 
somehow makes doing this thing where he puts his fingers on the side of his head not look stupid. <laughs> like, it's because like, like when I saw it in Doctor Strange and I saw I saw the the, uh, the X-Men character do, doing this uh, to, to communicate his mental powers, it just looks silly. But of course, he was sitting in a yellow bumper car when he did it. So, I mean, maybe that was part of the silliness as well. But... <laughs> Uh, I David Keith actually made me buy into that what his use of his psychic powers. So I I, I kind of dug that. I, I dug the soundtrack. I, this movie's just it's bad, but it is so incredibly memorable in the way that it's bad. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, could you imagine if Cronenberg made this movie? <laughs> How awesome it would be. Oh my god, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And that's not fair to sit here and go, you know, this would have been good if this guy did it. <laughs> but that's what I did the whole time. Uh but no, you're I, everything you said's true. I mean, Martin Sheen played Martin Sheen great. You know, I mean, he really that movie star quality and you know, George C. Scott while being in the role is offensive, he definitely respected it and gave it his best and is actually really good in it. It's weird. Uh, As opposed to like the guy, they hired a Native American actor to actually play the character, play the character Rainbird in the new version, and it just makes it boring. <laughs> and, and you know the reason it's—I don't know—I didn't want to get into racism, but it, it's—I don't know—it's. It's it could a, be a lot worse. Yes. It, it could be a lot. He doesn't do any rain dances. He doesn't. He doesn't drink uh, drink alcohol in it. It's not like they didn't go that far, but certainly not appropriate. <laughs> right, especially when the rest of the cast is white. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think we can laugh at this one safely and say that this was just kind of a silly choice he made. Whereas uh, it's it, he's not. He didn't go brown. He didn't put on brown face, but also no. that kind of makes it weird as well. <laughs> In a strange way, but he didn't do any stereotypical stuff. It yeah. wasn't breakfast at Tiffany's, anything like that. It like was... there really was no need for him to be a Native American. They didn't need to call the character Rainbird and give him a stupid ponytail and make him wear those those Indians. Cl- I think that was a choice, George C. Scott. So I just need to do something with this character, right? Uh, and, and memorables are fair way to describe it, but I don't necessarily know that I like it. I spent the whole time just wanting it to be something else that it's not <laughs> uh drew barrymore is i mean her whole career is just so weird because <laughs> you know you're like literally the most adorable child ever this you know wild and crazy you know teenager 20 year old and then a mom you know just kind of ran the whole gamut of everything you could possibly be in your life uh it's just pretty cool, crazy but she's awesome in this. Too. I mean, it's amazing how good she is at this age mm-hmm. in this role. You uh, can definitely see a, a little movie star oh. in her for sure. And just being and just being eight years old, she's got so much uh, so much power over what she does. Even as again, that face just makes it impossible to take her seriously. <laughs> I know she's throwing, she's melting people's faces, but it's still it's adorable. I just every time I look at her, it goes oh. <laughs> oh it's so cute the way she blew up that car <laughs> i mean it just i want to see more because that power would be more unhinged in both movies definitely this one not nearly as much as the newer one mm. but 
they play it a little bit safe. This one's a little crazier. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> you could really do something with I mean, as a baby, how do you you know, the new one starts one fire, then they move on. It's like, yeah, that was more that, that was probably the more interesting <laughs> the most interesting thing about it. Like how did they raise that baby yeah. that give me through like, the first two years of life. I want to see that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> don't set up a more intriguing premise and then walk away from it. Right. Uh, okay. Now we got to go do the remake. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just, and I watched that one before I watched this one. So then I already had kind of a bland taste in my mouth. And then as I'm watching this one, I am enjoying how crazy it is, but I'm also like, this could be crazier <laughs> <laughs> and it could be better and more competent. And really, I don't know. You could take this, everything about the, the same cast and everything and put someone like a Cronenberger behind it. And uh, I would love to see that. And I never <laughs> will. Cause I want Drew Barrymore as an eight year old or whatever to be in it. And that's not going to happen. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I'd never seen it before. So that was, I can knock, I can knock it off my <laughs> bucket list. It's uh, another movie down. Yeah. And I didn't watch it this weekend, but I have seen it this year. Uh, Lethal Weapon 3. <laughs> You've seen this 30. every year, haven't you? Multiple times. All of them. <laughs> and this is the one where I'm starting to be of the age where I can see these movies. And I just, I don't know. I it's I, I can watch these every day and not get bored. All four, even the fourth one. Uh, that one, less really? than the other three. Uh, but I just love everybody's chemistry. I mean, it's I don't care how bad the movie is. I love watching the Riggs, Murtaugh, and Leo Getz interact. They add new characters, and Chris Rock sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb, but I still love Chris Rock, uh, Rene Russo. I, I just Every time they add a new character, it seems to work. Uh, obviously, one, two, and three are the, the best, and probably in that order, one, two. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, just the way the starts with the building blowing up and uh you know they have like nine seconds to run out of a skyscraper and they manage to get out of there. <laughs> it's just just stupid fun and i don't know who has better chemistry than mel gibson and danny glover I, it, they just are so great together and joe pesci fits right in with them and you know, when you think about it, like uh, Joe Pesci shouldn't fit in no. with this character, given everything that we know about Joe Pesci. He's a New York guy. He's a gangster. He's you know, a Scorsese guy. You take him real seriously. And then he's got this character that doesn't seem like it would work, but it does. Yeah. I And they introduced Rene Russo in this movie, and she fits in perfect. I don't know. The whole thing is just stupid fun. Uh, and apparently they're making part five. <laughs> oh man! With Mel Gibson don't, don't, <laughs> don't tell me that. I don't want to know. I, it's, uh, until it's here, it's not here. Leave the memories alone. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he's already done. You right. haven't you done enough, Mel? Haven't you done enough to ruin our enjoyment of this? It is. That's funny. I was mowing the yard, and I'm just like, why doesn't that bother me like Kevin Spacey? And again, he's not molesting kids, so there's that. <laughs> you know, he's just like your racist dad or grandpa or whatever saying stupid shit, who you know he means well, but he's also a very privileged person, so maybe he should be the one. You know, there's no reason to forgive the guy. Uh, 
I mean, at least demonstrate that you learned something. He hasn't done that. This is just, I don't know. Right. The best thing he's done is at least he'll stand there and let you make fun of him. And then I'll be like, I didn't really say sugar tits. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's everything you did say is on tape though. So <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I love the thumb up in movies. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Uh, and I avoid movies like father stew just to not be yeah. brought back here or to, exactly. to not ruin this experience. Uh, also in 1992, we had, uh, what is that movie? Water dance with, uh, Helen Hunt and didn't see it and monster in a box. Have you ever seen water dance? I don't think so. I saw it years ago. I don't really remember what it was about. I feel like she was trying to rehabilitate somebody in it, but I can't remember much about it. Next week, we've got Downton Abbey, a new era men which i cannot wait to go see <laughs> uh chippendale rescue ranger live action animated film that sean's already seen and it's fantastic <laughs> from what i hear <laughs> uh, don't put words in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> he actually hasn't told me anything other than he's seen it <laughs> <laughs> oh i told you something we can't say it yet but right. i told you something uh, our classic is alice doesn't live here anymore uh, in 1992, Alien 3, Encino Man, Far and Away, and Zentropa, as well as Intruders, all turned 30. So we got Scorsese. We've got, uh, who's the guy who did Men? Alex Garland. Garland. We've got Lars von Trier. <laughs> We've got David <laughs> Fincher all next week. And I think Josh might come back and join us too, hopefully. Uh, so that Josh. should make it for a fun episode. Uh, in 92, I saw one of those movies in the theater, but you can't guess which one. <laughs> uh, it stars Pauly Shore. All right. <laughs> you saw a Pauly Shore movie in the theater? I saw Encino Man. Oh, okay. It makes more sense then. Not Alien 3. <laughs> All right. Let's see if I can find some flick shot before we get out of here. I got it here somewhere. Got to sign in. The Lion in Winter, Cool Hand Luke. The Lion in Winter. I've never seen that one, so I'll go with you. It's must see. Dolomite, nineteen seventy-five. Knowing. <laughs> Dolomite. <laughs> <laughs> The Sheik, 1921. No, I've never seen it. Yeah. Ooh, The Witch, 13. Two very good movies. Uh, it's The Witch, but uh, 13 is a is a really, really good movie. Very underrated, too. But The, yeah. the Witch is, it gets better for me every time I think about it and watch it. Mm. Uh, the Godfather Part 2, Apocalypto. Godfather Part 2. Absolutely. One of the best movies of all time. The Green Hornet, Cold in July. Don't know what Cold in July is. Neither do I. The Green Hornet, The Weatherman. Green Hornet. Yeah. Although I haven't seen Weatherman since 2005. I wonder if it's gotten better. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. 
<laughs> Blast from the past, Innocent Souls. I don't know what Innocent Souls is. Neither do I. Blast from the past, Malcolm X. <laughs> it's Malcolm X. Malcolm X. <laughs> I love Blast from the Past, though. It's so good. I know. It's just like Schindler's List or Blast from the Past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, predator Management. I can't tell if management is the one I've seen before. I can't see who's in that. Neither can I. Let's just refresh that one. Yeah. Miracle on 34th Street, Predator. That's the 94 Miracle. Not that it would matter. Predator. <laughs> yeah, the greatest action movie of all time. <laughs> Hook, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, the cradle of life. You know what? Hook is it is better because it's a memorable bad movie, whereas Tomb Raider is not a memorable bad movie. Yep. 100% agree. Evil Dead 2, Mary Poppins. I'm curious your answer. Evil Dead 2. <laughs> but you like Evil Mary Dead. Poppins too, though. I do. You? I do like Mary Poppins, but Evil Dead 2 is Evil Dead 2. Yeah. And Soon the Darkness? I don't know what that is. Mm, you. No. Flight chart's really going out there this week. I'm not going to waste time with Deepwater Horizon either. My best friend's wedding, Hunter's Blood. What the fuck? I've never seen Hunter's Blood. How old do they think we are? <laughs> my best friend's wedding lucky number 11 lucky number 11 just a tremendously underrated movie absolutely oh fuck it the wrong button <laughs> uh, the lost world once upon a time in the west is that the lost world Jurassic Park or is that some other lost world movie Jurassic Park are we sure yes I'm okay positive. the years was 98 once upon a time in the West. I was just curious. <laughs> Lincoln Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Lincoln. Air Force One, London Has Fallen. Air Force One. The better bad movie. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, uh, we lost Frank. Was it Fred Ward? Fred movie? Ward, yeah. Uh, Tremors. Sad. Uh, or Tropic Thunder. I have to pick against Tremors. I have to go with Tropic Thunder because so it's better. But I I do appreciate Fred Ward's work. I think that's probably his best movie. Absolutely. Alien 3, which I wish you could have waited on this one, or The Sound of Music. Sound of Music, I think, is amazing. I am looking forward to giving Alien 3. A, I just want to watch it for the train wreck that Fincher had to go through. I'm yeah. curious. Uh I'm not gonna hot shots or magnolia magnolia the quarter ready <laughs> i love magnolia love it still to this day <laughs> to me it's a crash in a way <laughs> i shouldn't say that it's not it's just emptier than it appears God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> Magnolia was upset, or Hot Shots was upset by Magnolia. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Casper. I don't care about either of those movies. Neither do I. I'll probably find out that I how much I liked 
Hitchhiker's Guide once I get right. to that blog, but <laughs> Moana Rocky. Rocky. Agreed. The Rocketeer, Amityville, and New Generation. The Rocketeer. Well, there was Amity, it was the Amityville with the lamp that was the villain. I would vote for that one. <laughs> she only made it an Amityville where the villain is a lamp. I'm not making that up. That's real. I know. I know. I've seen them all. <laughs> was that the one with Lori Laughlin in it? <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure who was in it. I can't remember what. My I just remember was. it was a lamp. Just a murderous lamp. Yeah. The Abominable Snowman, Planet of the Apes. It's like somebody just kind of was fucking around like, I bet I can make a movie where the lamp is the bad guy. <laughs> it was Fuck, no, you can't. Yeah, I can. You watch. I'll do it. Bet you anything that was the idea from the get-go. And they're like, let's turn this into an Amityville movie. <laughs> that shit happens all the time. Hey, we, hey, we own that fucking title. Let's just slap it on there. <laughs> slap it on the, that killer lamp movie. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> abominable, uh, the abominable snowman, Planet of the Apes, nineteen sixty-eight. That's the abominable snowman of the Himalayas, Bob. Um, I've never seen it though. Oh, <laughs> just read, get the title right. I only know? read the bottom title, not the <laughs> not the poster, because sometimes it's a foreign language, like Argo here, Argo or Planet of the Apes. Argo. I do have a love for Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Lake Placid, the tale of Despero. Um, they're not one movie. They're two different movies. <laughs> I did say that together, didn't I? <laughs> uh, uh, Lake Placid, because Tale of Despero is just too boring. And Lake Placid is bad in an interesting way. Die Hard 2, Dreamgirls. Mm. Dream Girls, because it's an actual good movie. <laughs> for a second there, I thought you didn't like Dream Girls. I was like, huh. <laughs> oh, this is tough for me. The Tree of Life, The Graduate. This is not tough for me. It's The Tree of Life, because it doesn't have Dustin Hoffman in it. <laughs> I know, but Terrence Malick made it, so I'm. that's a coin flip for me. <laughs> I'll let you have it. Tree of Life. Blade Crash 1996. Now, see, that's tough because Cronenberg's awesome, but so is Blade. Um, what Cronenberg to make Blade? <laughs> Just want him to make everything with Nicolas Cage in it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a team that should happen uh, sooner than later is Cronenberg and Cage. Let's see. That'll that'll be our offshoot Patreon podcast, Cronenberg Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Review movies that don't exist. <laughs> oh shit. I think I'll uh, go Blade only because I don't remember Crash that much. I'm sure if I rewatch Crash, I will probably pick it. It's it's got to be a classic soon. Right. We got to make Crash that that version of Crash. <laughs> <laughs> the better crash <laughs> classic. I do know it's better than the Academy Award winning crash. Yes, but the the tale of Despero is better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I have seen it, and I remember 
I just was too young to fully. I was probably saw yeah. as an eighteen year old. He was going for something, yeah, well beyond our years when it came out. Right. So are you going Blade then, or do you not? Yeah, care? yeah, I'll go Blade. Peeping Tom, risky business. Peeping Tom, Absolutely. one of the greatest movies ever made. Absolutely. Oh, Horton. No. Nah. Airplane or Dangerous Minds? Airplane. Dangerous Minds isn't bad, though. But that's all it is, is isn't bad. Yeah. Uh, my son was listening to Gangster's Paradise, and I started singing along with it. He's like, you know that song? <laughs> <laughs> so once again, I mean, this is like right before we started recording. So our computer is listening. Uh, E.T. Amos Peros. Amos Peros all the way. <laughs> Drew Barrymore is only so cute. I agree. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> she was the star of ET, not just the one stealing all the scenes. Maybe. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, Fallen. Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Jurassic World, Cube. I don't mind Jurassic World. I actually like Jurassic I, World. I just don't know Cube, so. Yeah. That's you're Cube going. is. I'm going with Jurassic World. Cube. I don't. I don't remember whether I liked it or not. I know I didn't like the sequel. Yeah. John Q. Really I was kind of surprised that they made. They made like three of them, which was fucking weird to me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You said John Q or Roadhouse? Yes. It's Roadhouse because it's memorably bad. And John Q just sucks. Roadhouse is my regular Saturday night thing. <laughs> Shanghai Noon, Silver Bullet. Two movies I don't care about. Silver Bullet, again, the more memorably bad movie. <laughs> Room, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Room, uh, better made movie, but Nick and Nora is a, a lovely movie in its own right. Right. Any Given Sunday, Runaway Train. Runaway Train. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Reservoir Dogs. It's Reservoir Dogs, but Rise of the Planet of the Apes is awesome. Everybody should see it. Das Boot, The Golden Child. The Golden Child, because Das Boot is like three and a half hours long. It's You start it, and it's going on for like three days. I think it might even be longer than that. <laughs> it's like ten hours long. Junior Tin Cup. Tin Cup. Yes. Last from the past, Alien. <laughs> I think this is how we end the show. <laughs> what is the answer? <laughs> One answer I give is true, and the other answer might mean that Josh doesn't come on the show next week. <laughs> is that the same answer? <laughs> it's Blast from the past. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. That really was a bad experience watching the two Alien movies. And realizing that they're not very good. <sighs> realizing that all that mythologizing about Ripley was like, she's not really doing that much. <laughs> she's not. She's a damsel in distress for a movie and a half. And that's Isn't, yeah, and not a badass. And 
my brother and I still argue about that to this day. I'm like, watch him again. Quit remembering what it was like when you were 15 watching it. Uh, that said, I love Fincher, so I'm curious to see what kind of hell he had to go through next week. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh has the extended cut with multiple uh, com- I'm not watching multiple commentary tracks. So. I would listen to Fincher complain about it, commentary. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, but that's about it. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.